Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Wednesday, June 22nd, 2022. I'm John Bob Hortz, the editor of Commentary. Once again, <clears throat> commending to your attention our July-August issue at commentary.org. We talked yesterday about Noah Rothman's spectacular cover piece, You Are What You Don't Eat. But let me, uh, let me tell you about some other stuff in the issue. We have a fantastic piece by Jim Meggs, our tech commentary columnist, on Biden's obsession with electric cars and why electric cars aren't the panacea that he and so many uh, people on the left think they are. We have um, Christine Rosen pointing out that the mainstream media are now uh, are now highlighting the consequences of the pandemic on children without any reckoning of their own role in furthering the interests of the people who actually ruined the lives of children and teenagers during the pandemic and acting as though somehow uh, the media were not complicit in the policies that led to such unfavorable mental health and educational outcomes. We have Tom Lindbergh on the fascinating question of whether or not the increasingly bloody struggle in Ukraine has uh, has had the consequence of saving the idea of the West, um, which was uh, coming a cropper and coming apart uh, over the last decade. Uh, Adam White on a very important topic, uh, reigning in the bureaucrats. Um, there is going to be a major Supreme Court decision any day <coughs> on <coughs> matters relating to the administrative state. Uh, and he talks about how litigation is increasingly, or Supreme Court and the Pell Court litigation is increasingly raising the question of whether or not it's okay for uh, executive branch, unelected executive branch officials to be making policy that really should be made by, by legislative bodies. <clears throat> My sister, Ruthie Bloom, making her maiden appearance in commentary as, as, a, as, a, as an author of a feature on the um, distortion surrounding the death of an American Palestinian journalist in Janine uh, on the West Bank. Uh, Joseph Epstein with a beautiful essay on grief um, and so much more. So that is the commentary July, August issue at commentary.org to read all of the wonders and many more that are not available. Uh, that I haven't mentioned, uh, you got to subscribe and you know, it's time for you to subscribe. You've been listening to this podcast. Subscribing also helps pay for the podcast and it helps pay for the magazine. And that is the content that you seem to be here for. So pony up you freeloaders pony up. Give us the scratch, the moolah, the green stuff. So let's turn to the topics at hand. One, the January 6th hearing yesterday, and two, the bipartisan bill, the bill that has now had, I think it has uh, 15 or 16 Republican votes uh, to advance to floor debate and the Senate on guns and gun control. So where do we wanna go first? Should we just, should we talk about the, the gun bill? Um, I have one thing to say about the gun bill. Some of it is very commonsensical. Red flag laws, money for uh, mental health, uh, and various other things. There are provisions in this law that are, it's preposterous that they're in there if they're supposed to be responses to Uvalde, primarily the boyfriend loophole. 
what you ask is the boyfriend loophole. Well, apparently uh, gun controllers have been making hay out of the fact that a person who commits domestic violence, uh, meaning the boyfriend of somebody who has, commits domestic violence in the home, doesn't have their guns, doesn't have his or her guns taken away from, let's say his guns taken away from him as a result of committing domestic violence. What, what does that have to do with mass shootings exactly? I mean, it's bad and it's, you know, I don't even know if it's a loophole because this of course goes to, um, shall we say, uh, second amendment rights, which aren't exactly a loophole. We're talking about people who aren't necessarily convicted of a crime the boyfriend loophole. So, um, but it's in there and uh, presumably it'll become law <clears throat> because nobody likes that somebody commits domestic violence. What do you guys make of this? Well, the problem with it being an Valde <clears throat> response generally is that the more we learn about Valde, the less it looks like it's amenable to legislative remedies. Exactly. It and seems you have like a was... great post on this. That's a, uh, again, on the site at commentary.org. Pony up so you can read Noah Rothman's post on how increasingly the news out of the, the things we're finding out suggests that this was a very, very, very unusual set of circumstances that led the police, that, that, that saw complete inaction on the part of the Uvalde Police Department and others who who arrived and then were paralyzed for reasons that remain not only horrifying, but wildly inexplicable. And, and unclear, still unclear, because the story that we're getting from uh, Uvalde police and Texas DPS keeps changing. And every every alteration to the narrative gets worse. This is a spectacular cock up compounded by what appears to be an effort at dissimulation or at least not a cover-up per se, but just an effort to get, you know, the people who behaved poorly here out of trouble, but that's still a developing story. So the problem is that because this is such a black swan event and law enforcement failed, abject failure on the part of law enforcement, it's very difficult to say what would have, what we would, could have done to intervene here in policy terms. Uh, insofar as this bill does that, it's probably in the incentives that it provides the states to enact red flag laws. And I, I, I'm very attracted to red flag laws for, philosophically in general, just because they would in, encourage a culture of personal responsibility um, for your loved ones, for the people in your lives who are demonstrating um, be reckless behavior patterns, uh, self-destructive behavior patterns, uh, threatening self-harm, threatening harm to others. That's the sort of thing that's on you to intervene when that's occurring. And these laws provide tools in that direction. Stephen Gutowski over at The Reload used to write for uh, Free Beacon. He's one of the best gun safety reporters, firearms reporters in the country. He dug into the details of this bill and he's kind of skeptical that these red flag laws uh, incentives, the monetary incentives will actually produce red flag laws in the states that don't have them in part because money's fungible. Um, there's penalties, supposed to be penalties associated with uh, non you know, failing to do what this bill does, but they're not spelled out. Um, they're supposed to, yeah, it, uh, it's vague. It's not, a, it's not a long bill. It's a readable bill. Um, but he's skeptical that it'll have the intended effect at the state level uh, there too. And I'm not sure that that's something you can remedy in legislation at all. The states have a sovereign. They can do what they want to do. I mean, you can deny them funds, but that doesn't seem to be what has been spelled out in the language of this bill. So Abe, um, 
Barack Obama and so many other people said, do something. You got to do something, do something, mm -hmm. do something. So this bill does something. As as Noah says, it may not do much and it may actually not be, may not have uh, any uh, effect on on these matters specifically and on school shootings and, and mass shootings specifically, but it, it is something. Yeah. And I think it, it's not entirely not related um, to, to the recent youth mass shootings. Um, there is the, the, the enhanced background checks and, and the, um, the authority to, to, to take 10 days to look into the juvenile records, mental health uh, records of uh, people seeking people who are under 21 seeking a gun, um, which is, I think, you know, as, as close um, to a um, responsive attempt at a solution um, as as anything to to the very problem. But I agree. We, look, we've been skeptical of a legislative solution, you know, uh, throughout this. Uh, the argument is that it's not really about guns. Um, sorry, you know, if it were, it would be, it would, it would at least be, um, just everything would be simplified. Um, but I'm just saying that if the bar to clear was do something, get on the record saying, you know, that we just can't have this, then congratulations to everybody who thinks that that's a good way to make legislation and pass laws. Like this is, this is the ultimate in sort of like, um, I don't know what you would call it, like facile. Uh, a, 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 there are two ways of looking at it, one of which is that it's very facile and will allow uh, people to go back to voters and say, we did something. And the other though, is it's been so long since there's been um a piece of bipartisan legislation on a topic like this that it is a it is an it is an opening uh, uh, that in the midst of this whole idea that we're uniquely polarized in a way that we never have been before <clears throat> that maybe we're not <clears throat> I mean we're polarized because activists on both sides are going to hate the spill right Democrats are going to think that it doesn't do 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 enough and and uh, uh, gun right absolutists are going to think that it does too much but it's still a move in a direction that we haven't seen in a, in a long time on on a hot button issue but does that mean anything yeah I, I guess I, I guess i'm not i don't find it as thoroughly facile as you guys do no i don't either okay to be clear i, I actually think it could have been stronger when it comes to red flag laws, but there, I don't have any problem with the provisions that create a special background check system for 18 to 21 year olds, right. mental health records, local, you know, check with local law enforcement. But also, if you don't have a, a criminal record, a juvenile criminal record or a mental health record in a, some in custodianship or something like that, you can still get a gun in three days, even if uh, uh, the uh, background check system has made no determination, you get the gun because the default is to gun ownership which is again, proper uh, right. given our constitutional rights. But yeah, I, I have no problem with that. Quite a bit of this, like the dating partner thing is just kind of weird. Um, but there's very little of this that I, I think is objectionable. The, as you say, John, the activists on both sides will formulate their arguments after the fact. Um, and they've just been waiting for the opportunity to do so. But they don't, they're not without right, genuine objections 
to you know some of the aspects of this bill the gun gun rights crew says you know this is um it provides too much uh leeway to federal bureaucrats and unelected officials to determine your uh whether you can own a firearm or not and that's the the line that is going to be peddled i think primarily by the senators in particular the republican senators who objected to this law and it'll get a lot of purchase on the right but um you know, is anybody going to even remember this in a year? I would be surprised. Well, we don't know because we, we that, that's the interesting part, a political uh, aspect here, which is that if 16 Republican senators or something like that actually end up voting for this bill, I mean, they um, they will do so with the belief that it is sufficiently anodyne that it will not trigger revenge against them on the part of a very active Republican constituency. But they could be wrong about that. And, and you know, you just don't know how the, how people are going to react or how successful the arguments are going to be by the gun rights people uh, for the larger. You see, they go to Washington and they all sell out and they all become part of the same, you know, blob that wants to restrict people's rights, just like they restricted rights during COVID, just like they want to restrict your rights uh, to post whatever you want on social media. They want to silence you and they want to take your guns away. And, you know, that 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 could be a successful argument. Uh, the, the thing that mil- mil- militates against it is the fact that the bill is going to pass. And if so, if it were unambiguously clear that that argument was going to succeed, Republican senators would hold the line against it and not let it get sufficient numbers of votes to achieve cloture and then go to final passage on the floor of the house and by the way there's still the possibility that this bill will not end up becoming law because then the question is what will the hat when they go to conference with the house bill which is far more restrictive will house negotiators essentially surrender and let the Senate bill be the bill? Or will they try to stick in provisions that will end up making it impossible for the bill to be the final version of the bill, which has to be voted on again to pass? And you can see a universe in which that happens uh, because they would rather it lose than that Republicans get some form of what they see as cover on 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 this uh, gun issue. Well, if that happens, I think we will find ourselves despairing of a bipartisan, uh, successful bipartisan uh, effort on something like this. Right, but in a funny way, it, it would be a it would be a weird analog or parallel to what happened in 2021. That what Biden did to his own party during 2021 where there's the bill that can pass in bipartisan terms, right, which was the infrastructure bill. And then there was the Build Back Better bill, which had to be muscled through. And the idea was, well, if you really want to show and demonstrate is bipartisanship, you just you put all the you put all your muscle behind the bipartisan infrastructure bill and pass it, which is like what you thought Biden wanted in 2020 was to show that the House and Senate could work together again in bipartisan fashion. And then Biden screwed his own bill, screwed up that entire narrative by saying he actually wanted the bipartisan infrastructure bill to be held hostage by the uh, by the Build Back Better bill. He wanted the Build Back Better bill 
to pass more than he wanted the bipartisan infrastructure bill to pass. So you could see how members of the House would say, we're not going to acquiesce in this because it's not actually what we want. We don't want there to be a bipartisan bill. We want to shove gun control down people's throats. And we would rather it lose than that there is this, you know, mild version of restraint some restraint in the in the in the timing and method of gun purchases okay but if they did that that would be so incredibly short-sighted because you're suggesting that this is some sort of a political strategy but nothing happened and that would presumably the line of thought there being that that would enliven the progressive base which is you know very unenthusiastic and then they come out for in droves to vote for a hypothetical um nothing happening is only going to increase progressive lethargy and make them more dispirited about the political environment, not more. Well, that's what you think, but it's not necessarily no, it's true. I mean, it's, it's, it's objectively empirically true. This has been the case over the last, as you say, since 2021. Right. No, but that doesn't mean that progressives think it's true. Remember that Nancy Pelosi has, I think, a six or seven seat margin in the house. It doesn't take that many people to, yeah, but we went no, through right. the exact same argument about the bloody tunic martyring the Build Back Better bill and how everybody would be thrilled to avenge its demise. And that didn't happen. So to run that play again would be really stupid. Yeah, well, that doesn't mean it's not going to happen again, because then you also have the what's right. And what's right is not to give Republicans cover passing this thing where they can say they did something to help when, in fact, they're not doing anything to help. And we're not going to be complicit in this PR effort by Republicans to, to shine on, you know, suburban women and try to steal them away from us. I'm just saying you're right. And you're not right. Like, you know, I don't know how, how AOC will feel about this. And the way it would work is either, either the house negotiate, either the negotiators will write a bill that the Senate Republicans, the Senate can't vote on, or they will write a bill that they can vote on and you could have some you could have 10 progressives in the 435 member house say i'm not voting on this it's a disgrace it's a republican it's a republican con job and i'm not you know i'm not gonna not giving into it so i'm just saying we, we don't know where this is going um and if you're the progressives you might already now be thinking you know what 20 it's over you know, first of all, I have a safe seat. Second of all, it's over. 2020 is going to be a shellacking. What do we have to, you know, what do we have to be nice and, you know, act like this is what we came here for? This is not what we came here for. We came here to stuff Republicans and, you know, make life hard and and uphold uh, progressive principles. So I'm guessing none of this will happen, but don't think that it's not possible. You just don't know. Um, and with that, let me talk to you about our advertiser today, Donors Trust. Um, one of our two, actually, because we're sponsored today by Donors Trust, the tax-friendly way to simplify your charitable giving without compromising your values. Is cancel culture coming for your charitable dollars? Big banks that sponsor charitable savings accounts or donor-advised funds, as they're formerly called, have a history of slow walking or altogether blocking donations to conservative charities. Charities that have found themselves in the crosshairs of the woke mob include the Family Research Council, the National Review Institute, the National Rifle Association Foundation, the Liberty Council, Turning Point USA, and others. Clearly, not every donor-advised fund provider is safe for conservatives. Let Donors Trust help manage your charitable giving. Donors Trust 
was built with commentary listeners in mind, people who believe limited government and constitutional rights are worth fighting for. If you already have a donor-advised fund, consider opening a rollover account. It can be done in three simple steps by calling my friends at Donors Trust. The Donors Trust team will work with you to protect your charitable legacy and help you achieve your charitable goals. Partner with the fund that matches your values. To learn more, download their prospectus at www.donorstrust.org commentary. That's www.donorstrust.org commentary. To align your giving with your values, visit www.donorstrust.org commentary. Um, so the January 6th hearing yesterday, I regret to inform um, people who want to believe that uh, there's nothing to see here and this is just a democratic scam machine that is um, looking to, you know, tar Trump and revise the revise history and all of that. Um, and even though the hearing was largely dominated by questioning by Adam Schiff, somebody uh, who behaved disgracefully uh, during the uh, Russiagate hearings and, uh, and as, a, as a pundit on TV during the Trump years, I'm afraid to inform you that the hearing was horrifying, that the accounts that we heard from Republican elected officials on whom immense pressure was put to, uh, to do what they knew to be wrong uh, and to uh, sway the pressure from the White House, friends of the White House, people working on behalf of the Trump White House. And then the coup de grace, which was this absolutely chilling uh, story of the harassment um, begun literally by Rudy Giuliani in a public hearing in Georgia against two election workers in Fulton County, Georgia, uh, who uh, one testified uh, we saw uh, parts of her deposition that was Ruby Freeman and then her daughter, uh, Shay Mills, who, um, who testified in person about uh, the harassment that they endured because they were named as election scammers, literally called election scammers by Rudy Giuliani, which... And the president. And by the president. Untape. Right. Um, when Ruby Freeman said, do you have any idea what it's like when the president of the United States comes after you? Yeah, this is this is I mean, that's not we're not talking about psychological duress. There was at least two home invasions detailed last night as or yesterday during the testimony as a, as a direct result of the president's agitation. One, um, uh, Secretary Raffensperger's uh, widowed. That's the that's the secretary of state of Georgia, Georgia Raffensperger. Uh, widowed uh, daughter in law um, said their home was uh, invaded directly as a result of this um, agitation. And Miss um, Freeman who's uh, who had she apparently according to her daughter Winanda Moss uh Wondrea Moss rather um that uh, she called her during an invasion their citizens showed up at her home and burst into the house and said we're making a citizen's arrest crazy people i mean if you ever try to make a citizen's arrest you should be institutionalized um but this, it demonstrated yesterday's testimony demonstrated that even before there was mob violence, violence, the lie, which has been firmly and thoroughly established as a lie and a known and understood lie at the time it was said, was not harmless and had material uh, effects on well, people's Freeman, physical safety. You need to add that Ruby Freeman was forced. The FBI called Ruby Freeman and said, you need to leave your home. 
we cannot guarantee your safety. You need to leave your home. And, and she did subsequently for, and she for did two months. And stayed away for two months. Uh, as a direct result of Rudy Giuliani going before the Georgia State Senate and, and naming her and her daughter specifically as participants in a scheme to deny Donald Trump the presidency, for which they should, I believe, sue him. Uh, yeah. for the scheme being that they had passed... This is on video footage that they had passed a USB drive between each other in the in the during the vote count. What was on that USB drive is only pure speculation, as you know, nonsense conspiracy theories tend to be. But it turned out to be a mint. Yeah, a ginger candy. It was not a USB drive. So, first of all, there was nothing on the USB drive because there was no USB drive. It was a piece of candy. What would have been um, on it, like? No, it doesn't matter. Pallets. Let's say that it let no. Let's say that it was the Venezuelan Communist Party, you know, with its version of the Internacional, you know, as sung by Maduro. It doesn't matter. There was no USB drive. Um, I mean, also detailed during the hearing in very effective, calm ways were just how all of these claims that Trump and others were making about. Uh, suitcases full of ballots, which were actually secured ballot holders, uh, tamper-proof ballot holders of ballots that already had been counted and were in a box to preserve, to preserve them and prevent them from being miscounted. There was no flood. There was no this. There was no that. And then we get to the, again, the, the, the part, the, the, the contemporaneous account of uh, Arizona's uh, Speaker of the House, Mr. Bowers, who read from his own diary saying, they want me to cheat. I will not win by cheating. The kind of pressure that is being put on me. I mean, he read from his diary aloud. I'm now paraphrasing it. But he said, I will not win by cheating. This is, you know, this is this is, goes against everything that I believe in. And he said, Rudy Giuliani said to him, we have a lot of theories about how the votes were. So we just don't have the votes or we don't have the no, we don't have the proof. So we have a lot of theories. We don't have the proof. Um, by the way, it, one very salient point here, which goes to how insane all this was, is that had the results in Georgia and Arizona been overturned, Trump still wouldn't have won the elect. Like Trump still wouldn't have prevailed if somehow those electors had been flipped and the election rerun and then he would have gotten Georgia's and Arizona's electoral votes. He still wouldn't have been over 270. See, I think that gets to Wisconsin where if he'd won, if he'd won. And then, and in Wisconsin, we got this, amazing little factoid yesterday that Ron Johnson, the senator from Wisconsin, his chief of staff emails, I think it was Mark Short, Pence's to, so, so, uh, Vice President Pence's chief of staff or somebody like that saying, Ron wants to give you something. It's a slate of electors that would take the place of, you know, of the ones that are certified in the in the count on January 6th. And the person said, uh, no, don't do that. Don't give him that. Don't give him those. 
Okay, so not, not to interrupt, Abe, but that's actually a pretty important point that I think probably should have been elaborated on more. If I have one complaint about how this committee has conducted itself, it is that it has relentlessly focused on the lie. The lie is very well established. We know now there was no reason to believe the truth of it, that anybody thought there was truth in it. If they did so, they were deceiving themselves. The vast majority of the people around the president were saying that this wasn't a, a a viable strategy and it was based on nonsense and he had every reason to believe that we've known that and we've established it for four days now that the lie was a lie they knew it was a lie and it wasn't harmless established well we don't know 100 percent, but the committee has alleged um that trump was doing or not doing things during the riot that are very uh, uh that expose him um, we don't know what the level of cooperation was between Trump and his orbit, people in his orbit and the rioters. And we don't know how much planning the president was privy to and did and how much of this was improvisatory. That's the stuff they need to establish. And if there is an, a slate of electors, if that exists, this document exists, then it throws into question some of the testimony that we got from John Eastman or didn't get from John Eastman, but the people around John Eastman, because he didn't testify um, that this was all just very ad hoc and these electors didn't exist. But we would figure out how to get them to exist if we could just throw this back to the states. If this document exists, it suggests an element of planning um, that hasn't previously been established to a degree that I think is, uh, you know, eliminates all doubt that this was just, you know, people fishing around and throwing things at the wall and seeing what would stick. That changes things in my mind. Just to go back to the pressuring the states. So impeachment has come and gone, obviously. Um, but it always struck me that the, the call that Donald Trump made himself to the Georgia Secretary of State that we heard at the time pressuring him for 11,000 more votes was, was perhaps among the most potentially impeachable uh, 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 offenses connected to any of this. I mean, that is a direct that that was a that was a sort of insane revelation at the time um, that to me is just as shocking as anything that is that came out yesterday. Well, I mean, there's a reason why I think they didn't go there, which is that if you listen to it again and again and again and again, and he says, I just need eleven thousand eight hundred votes. That doesn't mean that he's saying I need them. However, however I can get that doesn't mean it does I need kind them. of actually because he said he won the state by four hundred thousand votes. Right. So just find but me the means, not, don't find me the right count. Find me the count I need. But right. Even there, you can parse that to be since I won by four hundred thousand votes, just just find eleven thousand eight hundred of them. That's all I need you to find. He would still you he could still argue, uh, and and of course this goes to state of mind and what he believed because he can't have conspired knowingly falsely to overturn the results of election that he knew to have been properly decided unless you can demonstrate that he knew that he actually knew not that people were telling well, you can him, demonstrate that he, that he had absolutely no reasonable expectation that his claims were true that is whether not, he believes it or not no that's not right. a faith you right. don't have to demonstrate that no but you can say the question is, was there a moment, was there a time in the course of these two months where he's like, I don't care who I don't I don't care what the what the what the ballots say. I won. Or or, you know, 
just get them however you can get them, whatever. I don't know. He never quite says it. And it just reminds me of that line in The Sweet Smell of Success where Burt Lancaster playing the ruthless gossip columnist J.J. Hunsecker says to uh, Tony Curtis playing the Weasley press agent, my right hand hasn't seen my left hand in 30 years. In other words, he's manipulating everything behind the scenes, but always has deniability. And what Noah, what you're looking for, what the committee wants, what everybody who wants Trump to get nailed for this needs is for the right hand to be seen by the left hand. And um, the question is, since we only found out about this thing about the electors yesterday, and it's not clear to me that that is something that the committee had in its back pocket, things, facts, new facts may be getting developed as a result of the committee hearings. Things are getting exposed as a result of the committee hearings that are going to change the direction of the committee hearings going forward. And since they have now subpoenaed this documentary film footage that this British, the second British filmmaker who will be testifying or has been materially involved in this hearings, the first one was the guy who was with the Proud Boys on January 6th and we saw the footage that he filmed in the in the hearing, uh, the primetime hearing, the first hearing. And now we have this guy Holder, another one who was apparently making a documentary about Trump and, you know, a legacy documentary and was apparently in the White House on January 6th. And I don't think they knew that he existed until a couple of days ago. How did they find out he existed? Where did they, how did that information get developed? Who finally said, you got to go get this guy Holder's information maybe more is going to come out maybe they're planning these hearings with the idea that they are slowly tightening the noose around trump and that they are going to deliver the body blow later on that they have something i don't know i kind of doubt it because trump is too slippery to ever have said the thing that they need him to have said to prove that he was a knowing conspirator in a knowing effort to overturn the results of a valid election. Well, I don't think that'll change. No one's minds will be changed on, on, on that, in that regard. I mean, if, Unless if, they have him saying, I, I, no, I frankly, want the I results of this legitimate election overturned. <laughs> well, that would I be mean, silly. That's what but I don't mean. think I know. Nobody who heard that Georgia call has any, is, is curious about what his motives and intentions are there. Frankly, it, it, it's a lot of people can rationalize themselves out of that. And they'll rationalize whatever Donald Trump says. What he doesn't do in that tape is, as I told you in a text thread, is what's valuable to me. If he's there during the riots and doesn't film any effort on the part of the president to activate the National Guard, beginning, middle, end of the story, case closed. Um, but we should also just highlight a couple of details from for people who didn't watch, because, of course, it was in the middle of the day. And I know people, you know, this is discomforting for a lot of people who who like Trump or admired his presidency and stuff like that and don't really want to know. But Raffensperger, who is a conservative Republican, said they ran the voting tally three times. They they once they ran it. A, they ran it a second time. Trump got a, a totally legitimate recount right uh, because the state came in at less than half a percent. They ran the ballot, the ballots again statewide and did a hand count statewide. Running the ballots the second time featured exactly the same number of votes as the first. The hand count, I think, varied by a couple of votes. And then Trump 
made these very specific claims, Trump and Rudy. Um, 10,000 dead people voted, said Trump. The Raffensperger investigation found two. Um, he said uh, that 66,000 voters were underage. The actual number of voters who were underage? Zero. Trump said that there were 2,043 non-registered voters. The actual number? Zero. Um, and uh, the most killing detail is that 33,000 more votes were cast. 28. Excuse me? 28. It 28 wasn't, I, That's why did I write down 33? I don't okay. know, but I corrected you at the time. <laughs> 28,000 yeah. more votes were cast for Republican uh, in Republican for Republicans contesting congressional elections than voted for Trump at the top of the ticket. If you aggregate the number of votes in congressional races, 28,000 more Republicans voted for Republican congressional candidates than voted for Trump at the top of the ticket. That is the ballgame. That means that there were Republican voters at the polls in Georgia who decided not to vote for Trump, 28,000 of them, or 33 if you count what I said and 28 if you count what Noah said. doesn't matter because the, the uh, you know, Biden won by 12,000 votes. So, But uh, Trump's yeah. take on that is that goes to show that it's all fixed because that, does, that, that doesn't make any sense. Right. That uh, assumes that all Republican voters are automatons that have no judgment capacity on right. their own. Vote the straight ticket no matter what. It is incredibly condescending and speaks, frankly, to how uh, Donald Trump has always approached his voters. Um, he talks about them like they are his flock, his following. They do what they what he tells them to do and have right. no free will of their own. And if you think that, then you'd say, yeah, well, Republicans always vote the straight ticket. But okay, they don't. Donald Trump got. 2,461,854 votes in the Georgia presidential in the, in the, you know, in what is the final tally, right? 2.46 million. And Republican congressional candidates got 2.49 million. That is not a huge discrepancy, right? Like that's, 28,000 out of almost two and a half million. I, I can't do the math uh, on the fly here. That's 1%. So there was a 1% undervote. Why is that hard? I mean, that, that's, that's where you get to the automata. So 99% of Republicans voting for congressional candidates voted for Trump at the top, but 1% didn't. And Biden won by half a percent. And if those 1% of Republican voters had voted for Trump, he would have won the election because he would have gotten 28,000 more votes and Biden won by 12,000. He's toast. That is the end of his argument. The only way he wins the argument is this idea that he got hundreds of thousands of votes that somehow went missing. But it, since he has never produced any evidence that those votes, that there were these hundreds of thousands of votes, and there is no proof uh, I mean, and then as Raffensperger said with incredulity and, and his aide, Gabriel Sterling said, with incredulity on their faces, there was this idea that they saw on video that there were 20,000 votes for Biden or 100,000 votes for Biden uh, that were somehow schlepped into the State Farm Arena in 
in Fulton County, Georgia, and all of them for Biden were, and none of them for Trump, as as Sterling and Raffensperger said, who would have seen the ballots? Who would have seen them physically to say that hundreds of thousands of them only had Biden's name on them and not Trump's? They weren't out in the open exposed to light. They were in boxes. They were in sealed boxes. It's all made up. It's all made up. And the whole point is that it's all made up. And the question is, are you delusional? Are you Trump and you're delusional? Or do you not, or or do you know that they're made up and you don't care? And you you're you're happy to make lying, deceitful arguments, uh, and then also, you know, sponsor an insurrection. I will say this very plainly. If you watch these hearings, Trump himself realized that the Republicans made a colossal mistake. He said this in Tennessee over the weekend. He said, Kevin McCarthy was wrong. We should have participated in the January 6th committee. That's what he said, because no one's making his argument for him. Right? Um, Now, Nancy Pelosi is also at fault because Kevin McCarthy wanted Jim Jordan to be on that committee, and Nancy Pelosi said, There will be no Jim Jordan on that committee. And that's when McCarthy said, fine, no one's going to be on that committee. But Trump's looking at this and he is realizing he doesn't look good and that it's not and that there's no one making his case. If there were actually a serious minority majority split that wasn't just Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney, there would be someone there to contest the narrative that is being laid out i don't know how yeah and frankly i that i held no brief for nancy pelosi but to lay this on her is is nonsense republicans wanted this and they got it they could have voted for a blue ribbon commission which would have been utterly independent and would have consisted of republicans not chosen by anybody in congress they bought they balked at it they got this which they wanted an independent a, a, a congressional committee approved of by democrats and a majority they got their bite at the apple and because Jim Banks and Jim Jordan were not on that committee, they, they uh, Kim McCarthy pulled all the other Republicans, most of whom are in good standing in the conference, who probably would have presented some version of a counter argument that wasn't just bluster and p- table pounding. But they didn't want that either. They wanted a partisan affair that they could call a partisan affair. They're not actually getting what they wanted, but they're, go- they're doing their best to present it that way, because that was always from day one, the strategy. I mean, they're going to say it's a partisan affair, which they and wanted are to saying it's a partisan why affair acted the way they acted. And you know, I, I don't know I, that this is ahead. the worst strategy because I don't know that there's there that there is any sort of reasonable version of a counter argument here. Right. Well, you might have gotten one from the other members who were slated to be on this committee. You wouldn't have gotten it from Banks or Jordan, which is what they wanted. They didn't want a reasonable counter argument. They wanted somebody to blow the place up. I mean, I think Abe's got a point, though, which is that, you know, um, it's better to it's better to forfeit than have a madman testify for himself. Yeah. Or 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 to somehow try to make the case. If you say to Brad Raffensperger what 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 Trump did on the phone, if you say, well, what about the 28? What what about the 100,000 missing ballots? And Raffensperger says there were no 100,000 missing ballots. Raffensperger is sitting there having been sworn in on penalty of perjury for contempt of Congress. That would be even worse. I mean, if you if you have a head to head with these guys, Bowers and Raffensperger and, and the 
I mean, God only knows, you know, I, I feel bad for those women at the end of the, because they testified and they did this and you know, what's going to happen now, you know, what gateway pundit is going to do now, you know, what some of these filthy, disgusting uh, under, you know, slime creatures under the rock are going to do to try to discredit the two of them and prove that they were election scammers. You know that their lives are still at risk. You know that their reputations are still, you know they're going to get doxxed. You know that there is a whole world of QAnon people and 4chan people and Gateway Pundit people and Alex Jones people and God only knows who, who are going to try to do to them what, you know, you remember Joe the Plumber? You remember how Joe the Plumber just asked a question about about, uh, you know, to McCain in 2008 uh, that McCain made great use of. And then suddenly Joe the Plumber, like early bloggers are like digging up crap on Joe the Plumber, a guy who just asked McCain a question. His name wasn't even Joe. It was he asked Obama question. Asked Obama question. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, you know, so that there's a there's a steady there's a history of like trying basically to discredit ordinary people who somehow get themselves in extraordinary positions in relation to presidencies. And that's going to happen to them now. And so, you know, that's something to watch out for in the most discomforting possible way. Well, uh, so I'm sorry to say, I believe that if this hearing were what I expected that it was going to be, that it was going to be a crap show and that, you know, Democrats were going to mishandle it, it was going to be a lot of people screaming and yelling and acting hysterical and and they would oh, they would they would make the case too hard. And I still wonder at the seven point plan, the the uh, the wisdom of having laid out the idea that they were going to prove that there was a knowing seven point plan to overturn the results of the election. I still think that may have been an overreach. But you can't say after four hearings, having watched every minute of these of these hearings, being a fair person who uh, would have been perfectly happy, I think, to say that that this was a bollocks. Uh, it's not. It really isn't. And if you haven't watched it, don't believe don't believe when people tell you that it's a bad hearing. It's really not a bad hearing. It's one of the better hearings that we've had in 20 years, in fact. Uh, very calm, very reasoned, very, very fact-based. Um, a little sentimental. There's a lot of like, you know, you're a hero and you're a hero and you're a hero because you're saying what I want you to say on the part of the on the part of the Democrats on the committee. But that's that's okay. It's even it's even mildly civil. So I, I don't know. Um, and there's another one tomorrow. And there are also Supreme Court decisions tomorrow. Once again, who knows uh, what will what will be coming down the pike, but we will be here to tell you what to think, even though we don't know what we're talking about some of the time. So for Abe and Noah, I'm John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning.